the cool thing about baseball is everybody has to pay their dues. You know, nothing's given to you. And whether you're a first-round pick or a 50th-round pick, you start from the bottom and, and experience all that stuff. Howdy and welcome to the Pioneer League Podcast. I'm your host, David Graff. Thank you for choosing to listen to the Pioneer League Podcast. I'm really honored and excited to be doing this podcast project. I don't know if you've checked out the introductory episode with more background on this podcast, but I've been calling this an audio scrapbook of the Pioneer League and Minor League Baseball. It's unfortunate that Montana and most of the Mountain West might lose their connection to Major League Baseball if their Minor League Baseball affiliations with a Major League Baseball club is taken away. So I thought, why not talk to some of these guys who have passed through the league and get some of their stories about playing baseball in the Pioneer League. So in this first episode, I spoke with Drew Stubbs. Now, Drew Stubbs was a 2006 first-round pick by the Cincinnati Reds, and he was a member of the 2006 Billings Mustangs, which may be one of the best teams, if not the best team of all time in the Pioneer League. There were, including Stubbs, 11 guys who would go on to crack the big leagues. Drew Stubbs himself would play in the major leagues for nine years, mostly with the Cincinnati Reds, but a few years here and there with the Colorado Rockies and some other teams as well. It's pretty funny, actually, because Drew Stubbs and I, I did not know Drew Stubbs before interviewing him for this podcast, but I reached out to him through the Major League Baseball Players Association. I want to shout out Alex Madoff again for helping me out with that. And I was really hoping that Stubbs would respond because he grew up in Atlanta, Texas, which is a small town outside of Texarkana, Texas. I grew up in Arkansas, specifically Little Rock, Arkansas, and my dad was from Houston. So we made a lot of trips in the car from Little Rock to Houston, and you go down Highway 59 in Texas. And I would always pass through Atlanta, Texas. I remember vividly going through the town. So it's pretty funny that Stubbs grew up there. And so when he first cracked the big leagues, I remember, whoa, this guy's from Atlanta, Atlanta, Texas. Like, wow. That means, like, I don't know. I I just was always impressed. I always felt like I had that connection to him and was a big fan rooting for him throughout the years. So it was really cool for me to be able to talk to him about growing up in Atlanta, his time in the Pioneer League, as well as some of his Major League Baseball accomplishments. So without further ado, here is the first episode of the Pioneer League podcast with 2006 Billings Mustang and nine-year Major League veteran, Drew Stubbs. I'm very excited to start the Pioneer League podcast with a nine-year Major League veteran, most notably with the Cincinnati Reds and a former Billings Mustang, Drew Stubbs. Drew, how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty well. Thanks for having me on. 
Thank you. Thanks for joining us. So obviously you you played for the Billings Mustangs, but I'm going to take it back a little bit further and start with playing in high school. And what was it like growing up in Atlanta, Texas? Well, um, it's a very small town. I think it has a population of about 6,000 people. Um, obviously, when you look at kind of having a, a aspirations of playing professional baseball or any professional sport, you know, it's hard enough uh, to do that as it is. But coming from such a small pool of, of people, you know, it's, it's something that I always thought I could do, but didn't really know how I stacked up against the rest of the world because I was in such a small sample size. And, you know, I think it was in my later years of high school when I kind of started going to some showcases and, and other things um, where I was starting to realize that I can basically play with, with anybody else out there. So, you know, I didn't really know any different growing up. My, both my parents grew up in the area. I mean, I lived from ages basically zero to 18 uh, in that town. My parents today still live in the same house I grew up in. And, you know, it was a great, great place, like a little community of people that tracked me throughout my career and still stay in touch with. And, um, you know, I think it would be difficult uh, for me at this point in my life to, to go back just because there's not a lot of opportunities uh, moving around and just, you know, from a business standpoint, uh, looking into second careers. But, um, you know, I wouldn't have traded it for anything. Um, got a great group of people that uh, surrounded me growing up and, and kind of molded me into the person I am today. So you get drafted out of Atlanta, that small pool, as you're saying, but you were still a third-round pick by the Astros. What was that feeling initially like? Well, as I said, you know, I think there's so many kids that had the dream of, of playing professional baseball or, or whatever sport they, they love. And, um, you know, I felt like that was it for me. I mean, that was that was a chance for me to get a, um, a great start in a kind of a nearby organization. You know, I think we were all um, – kind of excited about the thought of me playing that close to home. And, you know, at the end of the day, they made a business decision that they couldn't uh, overspend in that slot, uh, which is what I was requiring to forego college. And, you know, neither one of us, I don't think, had hard feelings when the deal didn't get done. And um, I always wanted to go to college and, and spend my time, you know, working toward a degree and getting the life experiences uh, of a college student. So, um, I think everything definitely worked out for the best by me getting to go to, to Texas, um, you know, working toward my degree um, and and uh, winning a national championship while I was there. Growing up in Atlanta, were you Astros or a Rangers guy? Well, to be completely honest, if you'll if you'll bear with me in this explanation, I grew up a Yankee fan, <laughs> and the reason why was because my uh, my dad you know, grew up in the area, uh, the era before everything was broadcast on TV. So as he explains, his mother would, uh, when he was a young kid, would have a radio broadcast going, and it was either the the St. Louis Cardinals or the New York Yankees. And his mother, my grandmother, was a Yankee fan just from listening on the radio. So that's kind of how he grew up listening to Mickey Mantle and Yogi Berra and Roger Maris and those guys. So as he got older, he just continued to follow the Yankees, and, and that's really who I um, followed as a young kid. Um, the Rangers were the closest team to us, so 
you know, I followed them because we'd go to more games there than anywhere else. But, um, you know, I would say behind the, the Yankees, the Astros were probably my, my next in line as a fan. But, you know, as you know, the, the closest team to home or closest couple teams to home or whether you're a, a diehard fan or just a casual fan, um, that's convenient for you. And I think that was the case for me. That's fair. I'll give you that one. I'll give you that one. That's how I ended up an Astros fan myself. You talked about that time at University of Texas. What was it like to be a Longhorn? Did you always want to be a Longhorn? Uh, I did grow up a fan of the school. Um, I think in the area where I grew up in Northeast Texas, you know, you're either a, a Longhorn, an Aggie, or maybe an Arkansas Razorback fan. Um, our local TV stations are out of Shreveport, Louisiana, so there's, you know, a fair number of LSU fans in the area as well. But, um, yeah, I always followed Texas. Um, you know, being the kind of the, the main school in the state, followed them in football and baseball and, and whatever sport that was going on. And uh, like I said, I just I, – I figured I could go, you know, maybe earn a college scholarship somewhere. Um, I didn't know that it was going to be on the scale of something like UT. But um, as I kind of progressed through my high school years, um, I started kind of doing some of those showcase things. Um, started getting some interest from, from local schools. And I think once, once Texas came into the picture, you know, I knew right away that was going to be kind of one of the finalists, if you will, of the school I was going to go to. And, and ultimately it kind of came down between them and Florida state. And I kind of went back and forth for a while and um, ultimately chose UT. That was a pretty good choice. It was a great time to be a Longhorn when you were there. I mean, you guys won the, the national title in football, and then you guys won a college World Series yourself. What was that like? Well, like you said, it was a, a special time um, in Texas sports history, I guess. I mean, while we were there, you know, the first year, uh, my freshman year, we were uh, probably had the best team of the three years that I was in school. Um, we finished national runner-up, and I think Cal State Fullerton who beat us would probably – concede the fact that we were the better team and they just, you know, had a better two games in the championship series against us. Uh, but the next year, luckily, we were able to come back and, and kind of avenge that title and win it all. Um, and, you know, honestly, that's just kind of what we came to expect of, of ourselves was to get to Omaha and, and contend year over year for the national title. Um, but then you look across the board, with, like you said, football winning, the basketball team, you know, going to the Final Four, the Elite Eight, uh, Sweet 16 caliber team each year. Um, and then the other schools, volleyball, swimming, diving, you know, everybody was competitive and, and kind of in that top 10 in the country caliber team. So I think over the last 10 or so years, kind of being away from it and seeing Texas sports take a little bit of a dip, um, you know, you realize how special those years were and, and you're just privileged to have been a part of that. That sounds like a fun time for sure, for sure. So after your junior year, you're a first-round pick this time by the Cincinnati Reds. I mean, what was that moment like this time knowing that you were for sure probably going to become a professional baseball player? Well, from the moment that I got to school, um, obviously you never really know what's going to happen. But you're, if you could draw it up, you know, you spend three years you use your leverage after your junior year to kind of get top dollar out of the draft um, and then go on to start your professional journey. And entering my, my draft year, my junior year, 
everything had kind of stacked up as I had hoped uh, to where I was putting myself in position to, um, you know, hopefully have a good season and, and then go as high as I could go and then get started in professional ball. Luckily, I was able to stay healthy that year, put together the best year of my three um, leading into that. And, you know, you, at that point, even up until really the day of the draft, most guys have an idea of where they're going to go, but you never know for sure. And we've been in talks with probably 20 out of the 30 teams with potential of, of going maybe uh, in the first round. And Cincinnati obviously having an eighth pick, you know, we we got to feel the morning of the draft that I probably wasn't going to go before then. Um, and so we felt like, all right, if we can, if we can start to hammer out stuff so that when their pick came up and we had an agreement, a uh, relative agreement in place, we can make a deal happen. And, and that's what we did, you know, regardless of the team at that point, I was just excited to kind of fulfill my lifelong dream of, of being a pro ball player. I'm sure that feeling was pretty sweet. So you end up getting drafted, you sign, and they send you to Billings. What was that first moment like? Well, you know, fortunately for me, being in a place like Texas, you have a lot of teammates that are drafted a year, two years ahead of you, and they come back during their off season and they share their experiences and so forth. And uh, as one could probably imagine, you know, you're at Texas and you kind of get the best of everything and travel and, and so forth. And, you know, luckily I was prepared to know that you go to the Pioneer League and you're going to be riding a bus down Interstate 90 across the state of Montana, you know, for hours at a time <laughs> and then staying in, in cheap kind of ratty hotels and, and playing in not so great ballparks. So I was prepared for it. Um, but, you know, it gives you a dose of reality real quick that, professional ball is not all glamorous, you know, until you get to the high levels. And um, it's just it, the cool thing about baseball is everybody has to pay their dues, you know, nothing's given to you. And whether you're a first round pick or a 50th round pick, you start from the bottom and, and experience all that stuff. Yeah. Starting from the bottom. Was there, was there any moment that you're like, eh, I, I don't know if I want to do this. Well, I think I had a pretty laser focus on what, where I wanted to ultimately be, and it's hard to set a timetable because ultimately it's in the, the hands of your organization on how you progress. But, you know, I just looked at it as a rung of the ladder that I was having to kind of step up on to get myself to the next level. And, you know, I, I just tried to visualize it as one step at a time. You know, when I was there, the next step at low A was uh, Dayton, Ohio. So I was like, all right, let's do what I got to do to get myself to Dayton. And I didn't listen further than that. And then, um, you know, each step of the way, you just looked to the task at hand and then what it took to get you just to that next step. So, you know, I think when you can break it down into simple form like that, it just makes it all more manageable. That's a good motto, good motto to live life by. So in the opposite of that, was there any cool moment where you looked at yourself in the mirror or you're just like, wow, I'm a professional baseball player? Well, you know, the answer is yes. And I think there's several of those moments. But in regards to Billings and your first taste of being a pro, um, you know, I remember getting on a plane um, from Austin and flying up there. And you get off the plane, and I think, uh, you know, they put us in a hotel. And the first day we were there, they had kind of a welcome banquet for the team. 
and obviously us players are meeting each other for the first time or from all over the country. And then at that level, everybody lived with host families uh, for the summer. So um, all the host families were there. They got together. That's kind of where you got paired up with who you're going to live with. And, um, you know, there was some give and take there. But I thought it was pretty special that, um, you know, there was a family, the Hennessy family, that ended up being my host family that, you know, their son was in high school at the time. And before I knew anybody's name, he come rushing over to me. And he goes, hey, Drew, you know, I'm Jordan. I'm going to be your, your host brother for the summer. And I'm like, wow, you guys already got that picked out. And he's like, yeah, you know, you were the first round pick. And, and uh, we basically put your name in right away uh, so that we could basically uh, get the rights to you. So I thought that was pretty cool that they prioritized housing me for the summer. And they were very gracious hosts for me while I was there. And, and we continued to stay in touch, you know, for the years after that. So what was that adjustment like going from, you know, living a college life to living with a host family and playing professional baseball? Well, I think the biggest difference was, um, you know, instead of balancing school and, and other parts of your life, you know, baseball becomes your job right away. So, you know, you turn to basically working eight to 10 hour days and honing your craft and getting better as a player. So, um, you know, you get to the, the park, especially at the lower levels, you basically have position-specific practices early in the day, team fundamentals and so forth. And then, um, you know, it's up to you to kind of build your routine of, of how you approach um, every day, getting your work done early before the game, obviously playing the game, and then, you know, taking what you did good, what you did poorly, and trying to make yourself better the next day. So you obviously do that in college and in high school to a degree, but you don't spend the time uh, and, and effort kind of making sure that all your boxes are checked. Yeah, that makes sense. So when you're, when you're not playing baseball in the minor leagues, I mean, what are you doing in your free time? Well, um, you know, get home from the season and um, me personally, I would come back to Austin and I was lucky because a number of my, uh, old roommates, old teammates, uh, we would all kind of get together and, and kind of rent places for the off season, uh, and work out at the university. Uh, so we had people to kind of hit and throw with lift and, and condition with, and then, uh, you know, have our social lives together also. So when you have a bunch of young, you know, 20 some odd year old guys that, uh, can kind of share the same schedule, a lot of the same sentiments and places you're trying to go, um, that made it easy for us to, to find stuff to do and to have people kind of on the same schedule as you. On that Billings team, there were 11 future major leaguers. What was it like to play on a team with so much talent so early on in your career? Well, you could tell right away that, you know, relative to the other teams in that league who, uh, you know, based on what I understood, there were there were two different leagues that most teams you had kind of a, that was like an advanced short season, a rookie ball. And then there was another one uh, in Arizona and Florida where teams would send more of their high school players who didn't have the college experience per se. So our team, you know, was heavily laden with recent college draft picks. And, um, you know, like I said, relative to the other teams in our league, we had a lot of good players and we won a lot of games. So, 
you know, a number of those guys I had either played with or against in some ranks of college. And so, um, you know, a lot of us went to, you know, really competitive division one schools where, um, you had played against great competition. Uh, you had experienced a lot playing into the postseason and so forth. So, um, it was cool to get to share that field with a lot of those guys. When I say the name John Hester, does that bring up any feelings for you? Uh, I don't know about feelings. I mean, I played against him in college when he was at Stanford. And then, uh, you know, our first few years of, uh, of the lower level minor leagues, I think he was with the Diamondbacks organization. Um, you know, he caught a lot of games against me. In my research, I was just laughing because, uh, in an old piece in, I think the Missoulian here in, in Missoula, you said that guy hit a grand slam off me to end my season in college at Stanford. And now he hit another one today. I mean, what are the odds of the same guy hitting two grand slams? Yeah. I forgot that, uh, that happened until you brought it up. But <laughs> yeah, I mean, you, you run across stuff like that where, you know, you just see guys kind of recurring over and over at different stages of your career. In his case, you know, it was the same year, you know, he had been at Stanford um, and they actually beat us out of the regional that year in June. And then two months later, I'm playing against him in the Pioneer League. So um, it's just funny how, how stuff like that works out. In 2009, you finally get the call. You're going to the major leagues. What was that moment like? Yeah, everybody kind of remembers different things as being one of the highlights of their career. And like for me, I remember it was about midnight and I was playing in, in AAA in Louisville, Kentucky. And um, it was mid-August, so the Reds were out of the race. I knew that uh, Willie Tavares, their center fielder, was on a short contract and uh, he had gotten injured. So they were kind of patching together a center fielder for a couple weeks. And um, I was like, maybe I'll get a September call up. You know, I, I'm going to be draft or not draft eligible, but uh, – protect uh it was my protection year coming up to get added to 40 man so I get a call around midnight I'm laying in bed watching tv from our manager and he goes what are you doing I'm like just sitting here relaxing watching tv and he goes well try to get some sleep tonight I know you're probably not going to be able to but you're going up to the Cincinnati tomorrow so you know congratulations good luck make a few calls but get some rest and rightfully so like I called my parents I called my best friend back home and I I wake him up and tell him the news. And I said, you're going to have to spread it because I don't have time to make more calls than this. But, um, you know, it, it was cool because you're an hour and, and 15 minute drive down the road where I could, I could get my stuff packed up, get in the car and take a leisurely drive, you know, around lunchtime and get up there early. Um, uh, and ended up batting lead off and, and playing center field against Barry Zito, uh, starting pitching for the giants the next night. So, it was kind of a whirlwind 24 hours, but um, also pretty good because, you know, you hear of other guys who have to fly halfway across the country to meet the team and so forth. But for me, everything was kind of right there. Yeah, so you faced Barry Zito in your first game, but then in your second game, you hit a walk-off home run for your first career home run. Well, it's just one of those kind of inexplicable times where, you know, you come up with, I think it was a 1-1 game, and I let off the bottom of the 10th inning and hit a first pitch inside fastball just inside the left-field foul pole. And um, 
you know, it's just kind of a reactionary deal that, that happens really fast. And then, um, it sinks in as you're going around the, you know, I had a ton of walk-off home runs before that, but it's kind of like a welcome to the big leagues kid type moment. And then, um, you know, we end up having a nice little run the last month of the season and, and use it to springboard into a very successful 2010 season where we win our division, but definitely a special moment for me. Um, you always remember your first home run and, and for me to have it in that fashion was, was pretty special. You lead me right to my next question. You pretty much won at all levels. You make the playoffs in 2010. Why do you think your teams were so successful? Well, I think first and foremost, the Reds did a phenomenal job of, of acquiring young talent. I mean, you look at the contributors from that team. Uh, you know, you had myself, um, Jay Bruce, uh, homegrown, Joey Botto, Devin Mezzarocco was shortly to come up catcher. You know, Johnny Cueto, Mike Leak, um, just so many guys um, had been homegrown players that that stepped in and, and being contributors for a long time for that organization. And, you know, I think that's a testament to them to to draft good players and to cultivate them the right way and then to go out and, and sign guys, you know, like Brandon Phillips and Bronson Arroyo and Scott Rowland and, and other people like that that could really – uh, bridge the gaps for, for some of the younger guys to succeed. So I was reading a story in my in my research from Press Pros Magazine where Hal McCoy said he talked to five pro scouts and they all had you in their top three of defensive center fielders at the time in the early 2010s. Was defense something that you prided yourself on? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I mean, I, I think um, – if you think about baseball in general, you know, it's a, it's a very high rate of failure. I mean, the, the best out there are going to fail 70% of the time offensively. So I always took it upon myself to know that I could still change the game defensively night in and night out. Um, and you don't have slumps or you shouldn't have slumps on defense. So Augie Garrido in college uh, was very particular about outfield play and getting your work in during batting practice and moving with every pitch and being in the right place at the right time. So, you know, I think my preparation kind of went to the next level playing for him in college. And then as I kind of climbed the ladder, um, you know, I realized how much value could be placed on uh, playing defense in the middle of the field. And I was like, man, I, I have a unique skill set, so I've got to make the most of it, um, you know, and that can keep me around this game for a long time. One of the scouts was even quoted as saying that some pitchers owed you some steak dinners. Did you ever collect on any of those? <laughs> you know, I, I'm sure the uh, that's the funny thing about baseball. A lot of the veteran players, you know, take care of the younger guys that are making less money. And um, there were there were plenty of the pitchers that, that treated us, you know, for one reason or another. So uh, I, I can't remember any specifics, but I'm going to say for sure on that. Well, I'm glad you at least, you know, you came away with something when you're first into the big leagues yeah. like that. So I'll, I'll finish up here with the uh, last two questions. You were named most athletic and most likely to succeed at your high school. Do you feel like those were, I mean, you earned those? I think so. I mean, you look back from now to 2003, we're coming on 20 years here pretty soon, but, um, you know, I, maybe that's the case, maybe not looking back, but 
um, when you get voted on by your peers, you know, I, I think that is a byproduct of, of what they see um, kind of on paper, what your accomplishments are, but more, more or less than anything else, kind of how you work day in and day out. And I think that's in the classroom. That's uh, in the gym, on the athletic field. I think your peers, especially in, in uh, grade school, are around you, you know, even more so than your family. So they have as good a gauge on who you are and what you're about as a person. And so, you know, I think that that speaks volumes as to, um, you know, why they why they kind of put me in that category is because they saw how I went about my business. And, um, you know, I think a lot of my success throughout my career and throughout my life is accredited to that. I'd say you earned it. I don't. I don't know many too too many athletes coming out of Atlanta, high, Atlanta, Texas, at least. Maybe in Georgia, you might have some competition there. Um. <laughs> so we'll finish up with what are you up to now, and what advice would you have for anybody when they first get into professional baseball? So now, um, you know, I decided I was moving on from baseball uh, about this time two years ago, uh, I guess it was, you know, I'm still looking to, to play if the right opportunity was there going into spring training in 2018. And, uh, you know, we just didn't get favorable deal worked out. I think without boring you with details, you know, the game's getting younger and the way the team value players are starting to shift a little bit, but, uh, I felt that my time had passed and, uh, it was time for the next chapter. So all along after leaving school, you know, after three years, my first priority when I was done playing was to go back to finish my degree. So the summer and fall of 2018, I was on site at University of Texas and finished my degree in business management. Um, graduated really the last uh, 15 months or so. We've got a two-year-old daughter who's uh, I've been fortunate to be around home and spent a lot of time with her, seeing her grow up. And then, uh, you know, kind of figuring out uh, in the business world, what I wanted to do next. And I think, you know, this COVID-19 crisis that we've dealt with, has put a lot of stuff on pause, but as soon as it blows over, um, I feel pretty confident that in the near future, uh, I'll be close to, to moving on and, and doing stuff, uh, business wise here in Austin. And, um, you know, when it comes to advice to young guys or young people who want a career in professional baseball, um, I think I said it earlier, but it's, it's far from a, glamorous lifestyle you know everybody sees the, the cameras and the glitz and the glamour of, of major league baseball but nobody that you see on tv has gotten there without grinding it out through the minor leagues and there's a lot of a uh, lot of tough times uh, a lot of bus rides a lot of bad hotels bad accommodations um you know it's, there's really no easy way to get there so everybody that's there has earned it and it, it takes time uh, it takes a lot of focus and dedication and, um, you know, you have to be able to kind of put your head down and, and grind through a lot of stuff, uh, if you're going to get there, but obviously it can be done and you just have to believe in yourself at all times. Nine year major league veteran, former Billings Mustang, Drew Stubbs. Drew, thank you so much for your time. You've been awfully generous with it. So I really appreciate it. And for answering all my questions. Thank you. No problem. I enjoyed it.
All right. I really hope you guys enjoyed that interview and this episode of the Pioneer League podcast. Drew Stubbs, former Billings Mustang and a nine-year Major League veteran. It was an absolute pleasure for me, and I really appreciate Drew once again for all of his time and for being extremely generous with it. He was also actually the first interview that I conducted for this podcast to get this thing rolling. So I appreciate him being willing to talk about it, talk about his baseball career, talk about what he's up to now. And honestly, that gave me the kick in the butt to really get this thing going. And I knew that there were going to be more guys out there who were willing to share their stories about their time in the Pioneer League. So I really appreciate him. The next episode in this podcast series will be out on Thursday, July 2nd. It will feature 15-year Major League veteran and four-time MLB All-Star Greg Vaughn. Greg Vaughn played for the Helena Gold Sox in 1986, and Vaughn has very fond memories of his time playing in Helena. So I can't wait for you guys to listen to that episode and to check that out. It's going to be a good one. So please rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. That way, if you subscribe, the podcast will just come to you. You just have to go back to whatever app that you listen to the podcast on, and the episode will be there waiting for you. You don't have to go search for it. You don't have to find it. So please do that, and if you feel so inclined, support the podcast at the link in the description. I really appreciate that. As I said in the introductory episode, I am currently unemployed, so a few shekels never hurt anybody. So uh, really appreciate that. Really appreciate you guys checking this podcast out. And I can't wait for you guys to listen to the next episode featuring Greg Vaughn, 1986 Helena Gold Sock and four-time MLB All-Star. I'll be back to preview that interview in depth as well, so I can't wait for you guys to Listen to the very next podcast that'll be out on Thursday, July 2nd. So until then, please rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. And if you feel so inclined, support the podcast at the link in the description. Once again, I want to say thank you so much to Drew Stubbs, Alex Madoff at the MLBPA for helping set that up, and... Shout out to my friend Turnt Kenny on the music. He came up with that all on his own. I reached out to him and sent him the RBI Baseball 20 soundtrack, and that's what he came up with. I love the music. I love what he does. So check out his music. There's a link to some of his stuff in the description of the podcast. Really appreciate him. And look forward to talking to you again on Thursday with Greg Vaughn, 1986 Helena Goldsock, and four-time MLB All-Star.